Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today, we are talking about how to grow your glutes. It's all the rage at the moment is glute development. And it's so funny because even I remember... Oh God, like, you know, 10 years ago in school, in high school, like it was not popular or a good thing to have thick thighs and big glutes. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been quite lower body heavy. I didn't have the muscle development there, but I used to absolutely hate it because I couldn't fit into skinny jeans properly. Yeah, absolutely. I remember everyone in, in high school, it was kind of the cool thing to be sporty and athletic and just, I don't know, a lot has changed and our awareness has changed. All shapes and sizes are beautiful, but I feel mm. as a society, we are becoming more accepting of that. Yeah. And, you know, as you said, you used to not like your legs, but now you're embracing it and I love seeing your posts and it's really cool. Yes, there's still not a brand of clothes really that that fits like jeans, <laughs> but, um, but we'll get there one step at a time. At least we've sort of accepted everyone's shapes and size for what it is. So that's really cool. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we were talking about the trend in glute development and having, you know, quote, thick thighs and where it came from. So, you know, knowing that um, really renowned females like Beyonce and J-Lo and Kim Kardashian and Nicki Minaj as well. I had well, to that, add that on <laughs> Anaconda. Oh, Anaconda, that, that film so- clip. Wow. Oh, um, yeah. That was raunchy when it came out because it was a few... Um, <laughs> It was a few years ago, but now you've got like Cardi B bringing out her songs and that's, <laughs> you know, that's just dominates everyone. I've got my little nieces singing WAP. Like, oh, oh, no. So it's funny. so funny. You know, when you actually listen, look up the lyrics, you're like, oh, yeah. wow, this, some of this stuff's filthy. But anyways, <laughs> they've really, um, they've really uh, set the theme for, I guess, popularizing glutes. And it's a mm. great thing. Like what we said, everyone of shapes and sizes, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. just about accepting and I think um a lot of women you know it's why skinny black jeans were so trendy is because we were trying to fit into that that mold of having thin legs and yeah even myself in school like I used to get called thunder thighs did and you yeah and it was something that I absolutely hated my legs probably because of but now mm. I almost wear it with a badge of honor good you should you've worked hard for those bloody thighs seriously enjoy it but yeah it's the evolution pardon oops i'll break a melon yeah (laughs) please i would love to see a video of you doing that um it's interesting because just the names that we added in there j-lo and beyonce very different look to good old kim k and Nicki minaj look i'm fans Mm. of all of them i think they're brilliant no matter what anyone says they're funny good at business but it is what it is but Mm. i feel like it's just got a next level, like butt mm. implant type, Nicki Minaj and Kim Kardashian. So yeah, we need to draw the attention on it's still beautiful, but some work hard for it in the gym. Others buy it. It is what it is, yeah. but it's definitely a and, trend. Yeah, and I think it's actually really important to to bring that up, Danny, because um, even I've competed internationally and stood on stage next to girls with glute implants and, <gasps> you know, oh, <laughs> and... I've been throwing it back in my face and sort of said, well, you have implants, like breast implants. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of like, okay, well, like each to their own. But moreover, we're here today to talk about how you can actually grow your own set of glutes without having to put silicon in your ass. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Let's get into why glutes are actually appealing. It really mm. goes back to evolution. Back in the day, big, strong glutes were seen for higher mating success, which means a higher chance of survival. And Mm. it still is in our innate human nature now. Yeah, and a lot of people believe, a lot of guys believe that girls don't actually look at their glutes. You know, it's all about upper body day. But we are, like what you said, innately attracted to big glutes because we think that they would be a good mate. They would be strong, mm. they'd be athletic. They've got high testosterone levels. And naturally, we're attracted to that. And, you know, a good set of legs on guys, it's, it's not just for the girls, right? Isn't it? Legs and glutes on guys. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, get thrusting, guys, as well. 
But everyone is different. We all have different anatomy, different genetics, mm. different muscle bellies, different insertion points. So although, yes, we are made up of similar muscles, we will have different looks from one person to the next based, up, based on our genetic makeup. Yeah. And it is important to say that because you do see a lot of girls that um, they have, how do you put it in a, a nice way of saying well-distributed body fat? Right, so they they have very um, they store a lot of their body fat on their glutes and pear shape. You got apple shape. You've got the pear shape. Mm. Yes. So when we try to lose body fat, we can't spot reduce at all the same way that we can't pick where our body fat goes. Um, And for some girls, you know, they they have a lot of um, favorable glute uh, body fat, Mm. and often sometimes it can be really misleading because you might think that it's the, those exercises that she's doing or, you know, her training style or whatever that's helped her build that. But it's really important to be able to, you know, put your detective hat on and be like, is that glute or is that body fat? Because either way, right, looks great. But, mm. you know, it does come down to genetics for a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we're here to be real and talk about this stuff. Like that's mm. what we're here. So how many glute muscles are there, Sherelle? Three. Which is crazy when you sort of think about it because, Mm. um, you know, we say the glutes, you know, there's more than one. So it's important Mm. to know that there's the glute max, the glute med and the glute minimus, and they all have a really important role uh, structurally, but as well as aesthetically to give you that full glute look. Yeah. The glute Mm. max is the biggest muscle in the whole body, which is awesome. Mm. Um, And then we, yeah, glute med and min. So the main actions at the hip, Uh, hip extension, hip abduction, and external rotation. Now, I know a lot of people think, oh, just the glute max is responsible for extension or just the glute med is responsible for abduction. Well, no, they actually all help each other out. They Mm. also provide stability at the hip too. So Mm. this is my osteo side coming out, like, you know, and all trainers should really know. Well, actually, all the muscles integrate and help one another. So it's important just to make that distinction. Yeah, and we'll go through some of that uh, most definitely and chat about, you know, stability and how important that is to be able to develop strength as well as perform exercises appropriately. But, you know, don't get too caught up in, you know, thinking, oh, I must do abduction for, for this muscle and I must mm. do hip extension for this muscle. You know, the glutes, no muscle trains independently or moves independently. They all sort of work together. So it's really important to include a variety of exercises, but also just understand the base anatomy as well. Yep, fantastic. So aside from the aesthetics, which we've been talking about, glutes are super important for injury prevention, daily functional movements, you know, bending down, picking something up, and sporting performance as well. So Mm. very important. Yeah. And if you ever look at any really strong athlete in any sport – maybe not tennis, I don't know. They have really well-developed <laughs> glutes. Like you look at sprinters, right, and you look at these sorts of people, they have like incredibly strong um, glutes. And although muscle size isn't dependent of strength or they're independent, right, usually if someone's really strong, they will have like a, quite a good muscle base or development. And the same with like any other sports, not just bodybuilding. So yeah. it, it is important to know that it's not just about aesthetics, but it's also about performance. So if you want to be strong, you know, you need to be able to train the glutes through their full range of motion with multiple different exercises and do it efficiently. Yeah. And as soon as you said glutes and tennis, naturally my mind went to Serena Williams, mate. Oh, yeah. I take it back. Yeah. Oh, God. Genetics. Though. I guess you get that full rotation, don't you? I don't know. I guess oh, yeah. you do. Printing off. Well, then there we go. Glutes in every sport, but particularly like I used to run a lot, which I've spoken about. Yeah. I used to like froth over the sprinters' legs because I would look at um, endurance athletes mm. and very different physiques, usually because of nutrition and probably their style of training as well. But when you look at sprinters, um, like their legs, the female legs on them, my goodness. Yep. Yep. Juicy. All right. Mm. Should we get into it? Yeah, so point number one that we think is so crucially important for everyone to have a base level understanding of is exercise selection and programming. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have the right tools in your toolbox, then we're not going to get the outcome that we want. So it's really important to actually perform exercises that will maximize the time of tension on your muscles, 
but then also take the glutes through their full range of motion. Mm, Yeah. And I think there's always two camps when it comes to like, you know, weightlifting there's the sport performance side and the strength and the powerlifting sort of club and then there's like the hypertrophy bodybuilding style of club right and we all feel strong right we all want to feel strong it doesn't matter if it's on a hack squat or if it's barbell Um, it's just whatever your perception of strength is but it's important to also when you're looking at exercise selection and programming know what you're training for I think it's so important to have that primary goal in focus and pick those exercises and program accordingly. Yeah. Depending on your goals, as you said, your body, your current balances and imbalances, your strengths, your weaknesses, there's going to be a better exercise for you at a different point in your life. So Mm -hmm. just because someone is doing 20 sets of squats and their glutes are incredible, it might not work for you. So I know it's so common to see, we get ideas from Instagram. We do. It's just what happens. That's what's there. Swipe and save. Swipe Swipe and save. save. That's right. But it might not be the best thing for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really important to know, like, there is no best exercise, but there is probably a best exercise for you at one given time during your primary goal. So, you know, if it's strength-based and you want to get a really uh, strong back squat, you've got a back squat. (laughs) Like, strength is specific. And then when it comes to building muscle and, you know, hypertrophy, that's when like more equipment and machines could also be beneficial. So, you know, glute development is important for both. But if you're looking at hypertrophy, you know, something that I really love is using a lot of equipment for my sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Well, the number one rule for hypertrophy is time under tension. So if we spend time, you know, 1RM, 3RM on our big heavy lifts, then it's not the best outcome for muscle hypertrophy. Now, the elite powerlifters all have incredible glutes. So I'm not Mm. saying that that's not right. But for someone who's not an elite level powerlifter or even going down that path, definitely aim for exercises that will allow you to get time under tension on your Mm. glute muscles without letting other muscles compensate, like your lower back or your hip flexors, things like that. Yeah, really good point because we know that our body does not know whether you're using a barbell or um, a glute drive. It just knows that time under tension and fatigue on the muscle fibers. And that's the primary goal of when you're trying to um, build muscle is to put stress and fatigue across the muscle fibers so they break down and we can build them back up. Um, Like personally, and I think you're the same, Danny, like I love a glute drive over a barbell because it allows me to add more load. It allows me to keep tension on the glutes. Mm. It minimizes setup and sort of um, any lower back sort of niggling in because you've got that support continuously on the way down. So mm. machines serve a really, really useful purpose when your primary goal is muscle growth. Yeah, for sure. Love the old glute drive machines. They're really good. We need to see them in more gyms. And I think we slowly <sighs> will. Um, yeah, really good. And there are lots of arguments and research papers, or not lots of research papers, but there's lots of arguments on what's better for your glutes, squat or hip thrust. And it's I've actually had a read through the studies. Now, all of the people that were tested, it was very biased. Like they were always is. Yeah, it was just so biased that there was no actual outcome. I think the studies that proved squats were better you know, was biased towards that. The ones that proved hip thrusts were better were biased towards that. So there's still no real answer. The answer that we yeah. come up with is it depends. Again, yes. it depends on your anatomy, your goal, your level of training, um, yeah. frequency of training, all of that. Yeah. But something really important to note on that, Danny, and I'm glad that you bring that up, is when we're doing squats or split squats or lunges or anything, you know, the glutes are being challenged in their lengthened position. Mm. Whereas when we're training a hip thrust or hip extension or cable kickbacks or back extension, the glutes are being trained in their shortened position. So we need to be challenging a muscle through its full range of motion, not just dependent in one movement, but as well using that throughout the course of a day, a week, a month, making sure that we're challenging Uh, all muscles in short mid and lengthened positions and I was reading a really interesting book by I think it's Brad Strawfield or what's his name but 
And he was talking about this theory as like when you train a muscle and it's lengthened position, the muscle fibers actually elongate and grow in length. Mm. Whereas when you train it in shortened position, they grow in width. And then it's like, oh, all these girls that just start hip thrusting for the first time and their glutes blow up. Like, I don't know if that's, you know, related, but think about all the other exercises that change the glutes in their shortened position. There's not mm. many. Like I probably didn't do many prior to the hip thrust becoming popularized. So yeah. it's not about which is better. It's about like that variety aspect and understanding that program design is probably a lot more complex than what people give it credit for. It's not just about slapping a few exercises together. That's right. Really well said. Well, if we're in it for the long haul anyway, because if you're new to training, great, anything's going to work. So that probably goes back to what you just said about people start hip thrusting and cool, they get changed. But now imagine you and I, like the level of work that we have to put in to get even a little bit of growth, it's so much harder than when we first started. Like Mm, I'll never forget the time when I could first feel my glutes, like probably It was like I found the bloody holy grail. It was just the best. Like, yeah. I couldn't believe it. It's Once the light bulb goes off, it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is what it's meant to feel like. Because our daily life, sitting down, driving, you know, we Mm -hmm. have become molded to positions in which we don't really use our glutes. So it is an effort to actually feel them properly in the gym. Yeah. And I remember one of my first ever mentors, he said to me, he's like, squeeze your ass. And I was like, what? Like, it was like, you know, tense your glutes. And it was foreign to me. This is when Mm. I was getting some in-person stuff done. And then he taught me like how to externally rotate. And I was like, holy shit. Like the first time you learn how to externally rotate and you can actually activate your glutes. Yeah. Like, I swear to God, my stage photos just got 10 times better because I finally knew how to turn my glute meat on. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's that little trick, isn't it? The old knees out. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But it's not knees out. You know, it's screwing your femur. It's like I think some people just turn their feet out rather than like actually screwing into the floor. Mm, mm. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So we will talk about technique, actually. Let's get into that. We need to mention, yeah, exercise order as well. So generally your activations, your compounds, your accessories, and then, yeah, any other little ancillary movements after that. And people yeah. throw burners on at the end. What's your opinion on burners, Sherelle? I know that um, you always have something to say about burners at the end of a workout. Yeah, I'm just not a big fan of booty burners or glute burners, whatever you want to call them. I mean, I know there's merit in the metabolic damage side of things in, in like, you know, getting more blood flow to the joint and get um, to the muscle, sorry, and getting a pump on. But more often than not, I feel like I see a lot of people um, including too much volume or too much pump work at the expense of actually progressively overloading and uh, applying load to their primary movements. Mm. So, you know, they definitely could serve a purpose, um, but I think it's more for an advanced person, to be honest. Like, I think most people just need to be focusing on getting stronger. Yeah, for sure. I think if someone is still learning how to train properly and at full capacity and they only go about 70% in the actual workout, a burner would be okay for them because they didn't really maximize themselves at the start. But if you mm-hmm. dominate every set, every rep to full capacity, there's no point finishing with a burner because you're just going to yeah really just overdo it with the volume but if you've kind of gone and you haven't really pushed too hard whether you're new Mm. to it or a little bit scared all right finish with a little bit of a burner to feel like you've got a pump could work Mm. either way yeah the only other thing that I feel like is I guess unfavorable with burners is that you can't actually track it properly like it's really hard to consistent to progressively overload it because you, you know you get 50 reps on like a abandoned bridge or something like that it's like what do you do next week 60 like yeah. how do you how do you apply progressive overload and that's why i don't see it too practical for people that are a bit more advanced like what you said maybe with the beginners perhaps using it i could probably see merit in that but mm. you know either i just think if you're on like a back extension and it, I guess it depends on what you classify as a burner. Do you know what I mean? Like I do 25 mm. reps with a banded back extension. Mm. Maybe that is a burner for someone. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is different, but we can't get mixed up between burners and activation. So burners yes. would be, you know, taking 
it to fatigue. It could be 50, 60, 100 reps, as you sort of mentioned earlier. But activation. Now, mm. this is such an important part of a workout. It's not the part of the workout that's going to get you muscle growth. By mm. all means, no, we must load the muscle still. However, if we activate the glutes first, we are less likely to use the muscles that are used to compensating instead of our mm. glutes. So most mm. of us would use the lower back instead or the hip flexors instead, mm. quads, even hamstrings. Every other muscle wants to try and help generally aside from the actual glutes. So mm. if we activate the glutes first in a way that doesn't bring on the lower back, quads, hamstrings or hip flexors, then we prime ourselves to actually use those muscles in our training program, in the bigger lifts. So yeah. activations are so important. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, that's definitely um, really valid there, Danny. It's our next one is that activation and technique is so, so, so fundamentally important to make sure that it's ingrained right at the start. And like what I just said five minutes ago, you know, the first time I learned to actually activate and externally rotate and like feel those muscles firing it's really important that you can do that without load you know and mm. i think when you first start as a beginner it's important to spend you know the time and and you know more volume and more sets and reps of your activation work to fully ingrain that and then when you become more advanced as well you can sort of get away with probably a bit less activation work. Like I definitely still do a bit, but I feel like I don't have to do as much as when I couldn't feel my glutes as much. Would you agree, Danny? Yeah, 100%. Even um, the good old, the lock clam, like most people know what that is now if they've been on our page or my page. Um, a lot of people still couldn't even get that to feel, feel it in their glutes. So I would have to regress them either a straight leg abduction, so lying on your side, bringing your leg out, or a, a banded abduction, sitting down. So there were two mm. exercises needed before the clam. So, But mm. then as you get more advanced, you get used to it, you don't need those other two. You just go bang, straight into your one of choice. All right, cool, on to the next, on to the next. So you work out your yeah. routine and, and streamline it. So you're right, yes. the more advanced you get, the less time you actually have to spend on it. But yeah, you must earn that right as we yeah. do with everything. Yeah, I love that because like what um, we've spoken about in the past, you know, I used to spend quite a significant amount of time in my warm-ups and that was important to me because, you know, otherwise my sessions weren't as good and I knew mm. that that was a limitation. It was potentially my activation. Oh, but yeah. then as I've become more confident and um, I guess more of that intermediate style trainer, you know, I've just got this routine that I can just jump in and do my walking lunges and do my cable work and just get a few things done and, and then get into my warm up sets and feel those muscles contract quite efficiently and yep. not get any of the issues that I used to have in the past. But, um, you know, nothing comes without work. And like what you said, Danny, you must, you must earn that right. And if you are getting any pains or niggles or struggling, you know, you, you need to progress to progress sometimes. Yeah, for sure. All the time, really. Like there's no point in pushing through if you've got a sore knee, pushing through your squats or whatever, or your lower back. Mm. Um, yeah, and that was definitely a game changer for my training once I learned how to actually activate my glutes because I would just chuck so much weight on the bar for my hip thrust. Yeah, it would move and I got lots of likes, but my lower back really got developed. Like I never mm. injured myself, but it, I would always feel it working. And mm. my glutes weren't developed. My lower back was, particularly on the right side, because um, mm. I'm not as strong or I wasn't as strong in that right glute. So then my right lower back took over. And then mm. I actually had to regress. I ended up with like 40 kilos on a barbell and a band to mm. really just take it right back, feel each rep properly in my glutes, nowhere else. And from there, I was able to build right back up. And then it's evident in my stage photos. Yes, some of the other factors such as diet, which we'll be talking about after, came into it. But for so long, I was training my lower back, not glutes. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think if anyone's ever had any lower back issues, I definitely did for a long time. As soon as I fixed those, my glutes grew very yeah. quickly because I found that I could actually put load onto them. I was loading them properly. Mm. And, you know, injuries happen for us not to us sometimes they're lessons and we need to be like 
okay, I'm going to take this on board and spend that time doing the hard work. Because if you're getting any pain in your lower back, you know that your glutes are not going to be taking the full load or the full capacity that they could. And that's why you've really got to drop your ego. You know, if you've been doing a certain weight and you can't get that at this this next session, the next week, and you're like, oh no, progressive overload, got to hit those numbers. It's not the most important thing. Like we're trying to put tension across muscle fibers. Your body mm-hmm. doesn't know the weight. So if you can't apply the full tension to that muscle fiber and it's going to your back instead, you know, you're going to get jack directors. Yeah, exactly. And I remember in one of the episodes, you mentioned that perfecting your technique is a form of progressive overload. And I've really used that with a lot of people I've come across now because people hate the feeling of plateauing or going backwards. So if we can all remember that perfecting your technique is a form of progressive overload, like Mm -hmm. you're mastering technique and the word mastery, it's such a powerful word. Become Mm -hmm. a master of your technique. Like that is such Mm -hmm. a cool goal to have in the gym. And then as a secondary effect, you will get the gains. You will get the results. The the Mm -hmm. numbers on the bar will go up. So master your technique. Yeah, it's a skill. So true. And I think even when we talk about activation and technique and all those sorts of things as well, you know, something that I do now is like respect that tempo a lot more and really Mm. pause at the most challenging part or whatever it might be. Whereas in the past, when you're sort of fixated on just hitting numbers, you want to just get through the reps. Yeah. Not sort of inviting that tension to be around any longer than it needs to. Right. But adding a thrust, you know, adding a couple of seconds at the top, I think that's like fundamental why rush through that progress when it's only going to um, improve your your um, your glutes or your hypertrophy benefit you know and, and this is why it's so important to separate your bias from the strength side if that's not what your primary focus is and it's really hard in an industry that rewards um, adding more weight to the bar but it's really important for your own progress to not rush it Yeah, that's a brilliant point there. A lot of people run away from that sticking point or that really tough point. So in a hip thrust, yeah, it burns. It's like, oh, but there's no point going to the gym if we're going to run away from it. Like we Mm. need that top range of a hip thrust. We Mm. need that bottom part of a squat. Often you see people run away from it. Like tempo, all right, it's pretty slow. Um, Down the bottom, quick, come back up. (laughs) Stay in it. It's hard. Stay it's like people, it. you know, you see them squat and they they stand there with the barbell. Like the muscles aren't working really. Your glutes are not working really when you're standing there with the barbell. When you get to oh, the bottom, I would of that challenge squat, that. Did you see the ECG on my bum that I did? Oh well, that's oh, well, they're that's working. They're working, but they're not got, like being challenged or stretched. They're or not anything. stretched like, or anything. Yeah, they're not yeah. moving. Mm. But when you're at the bottom, and this is why you often see people like add those pauses at bottoms of squats and bottoms of deadlifts and like, um, you know, challenge that challenging part. So, yeah. you know, it's it can be something for you to be like, I'm going to like this training session, the way I'm going to apply progressive overload is I'm going to challenge that bottom part for an extra couple of seconds. Yep. Yep. Nice. And when it comes to technique, the most common uh, technique errors that we see that do not favor the glutes is the good old knee cave, or as you said Mm -hmm. earlier, not knowing how to screw your feet into the ground and bring your knees out. We often Mm -hmm. see that on squats, lunges, even deadlifts, anything really, leg press. People's knees just want to come in. And as women, we've always been taught, sit with your legs crossed, you know, be a lady. (laughs) You know, we don't sit there with our legs open like the guys. But Um, I might have missed the memo. You missed the memo. You've got your VB and your legs open. But, <laughs> but, you know, like, and weakness in the glutes naturally because that's one of the roles to bring the knees out. If we're a bit weak, the knees are going to cave in. That can lead to yeah. knee pain. Therefore, it can also lead to less glute growth. I have to slow yeah. down and say that's a tongue twister. Less um, glute growth. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But, you know, all these sorts of things are just little warning signs for you. You know, if you're filming your squats and you're like, geez, I noticed that my knees are buckling in. Or when you're doing a Romanian deadlift, if your knees are buckling in at the bottom, like just notice that, you know, you probably just need to reduce the load and and uh, consciously focus on pushing your knees out or driving your knees out a bit more to try and 
get those glutes to fire and activate mm. and recruit the right muscles um, because it's really easy to move a weight. It's really easy just to move a weight. Anyone can do that. But mm. to actually use the right muscles and, you know, bodybuilding is an art. It's not just about, you know, moving load. It's about actually developing the muscles that you want to. Yeah. And one other thing that is often surprising for people is that there's actually a, such a small range of motion in mm. at the hip. Like a lot of people overcompensate. So if they're a bit stiff through the hip, which a lot of people actually are, mm. the lower back will actually take the extra movement or the hips will just move. So, or the pelvis, sorry pelvis mm. hips similar things so like for example on a cable abduction where you're standing upright with a cable around your foot and bringing your leg out it's a hard one but what you often see is instead of the pelvis staying level people kick their leg out to the side and swing to try and get the extra mm. height the pelvis moves and they haven't actually used their glute they're just bending their trunk things like that so that's mm. very common as well to see mm. excessive movement through the lower back to make up for a lack of strength and mobility through the hips and glutes. Mm, yeah. And what do you think some of the signs would be if someone was doing like, um, you know, a hip extension or um, hip abduction and they were getting sort of, and they were, you know, I guess going outside of their range of motion, would they experience pain or stretching or discomfort in their back throughout that? Awesome question. Over time, yes. The first couple of times, maybe not, but no doubt will you end up with, pain in your hips or hip flexors at the front, pain in the lower back. Uh, and then you'll just, you'll also be able to feel it. Once you start to pay attention, you're like, shit, I am swinging a fair bit. Yeah. Like your body will give you signs. You'll end up finishing the workout or the next day you wake up and you feel sore in everywhere except your glutes. That's mm. how you know you haven't really actually used your glutes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, really important to notice that. Um, and, you know, master, you know, the smaller ranges of motion. A lot of people talk about like, yes, we want to take our muscles through the full range of motion, but every muscle, every person has access to different ranges of motion as well. And I think it's a good example is for, say, the hip thrust. Like when we know the most challenging part is at the top, you know, I use a lot of constant tension and I avoid mm. going all the way down because eccentric load in that sort of movement is probably not very beneficial in terms of my hypertrophy goals so yeah again it's understanding the mechanics as well and once you do like your programming changes forever the way that you yeah. do exercises changes forever because you know where you should be feeling things and you know where the limitations are and that risk to benefit ratio for a lot of different exercises I love that. And it really comes back to being self-aware. Okay, how does this exercise actually feel? Oh, what happens if I turn my knee out a little bit or I screw my foot into the ground a little bit more or put my body on this angle? Like we all have a set of guidelines of how an exercise should be done, but mm. we should also know that it is only up to us to know how it really feels. Mm. So we have to make little alterations with our feet or our torso or something like that to actually feel it well and it comes with trial and error and it you're does. only going to get you're not going to get that under a one rm like you have nah. to play around with it lighten the weight get your detective hat on as you said mm. have some fun with it this stuff's mm. really cool <laughs> yeah mm. and the, a good example is with hip abduction right like some people really feel it really beneficial when they kick their toes in slightly and sort of drive out with their um with the heel I know I mm. definitely do whereas sort of when you go the other way you don't but some people don't notice much of a difference so mm. this is where individuality becomes really important with programming because there will be certain exercises that potentially suit you and your biomechanics and your structure a lot better than other exercises um yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And one last thing on activation and technique. Often if our body feels like there's not much stability, we're not able to actually take our joints through a range of motion because your body's kind of in protection mode. It's like, oh, I don't feel strong or stable. I'm not really going to move well. So mm -hmm. if we do a set of core activation, for example, you know, front planks or shoulder taps, side planks, just to prime everything around, get the lower back stable, because we know now that often that takes some of the movement. If we get that stable, then the glutes are more likely to switch on and become activated because, mm. you know, the lower back doesn't feel like it has to do everything because the core is helping out all the other core muscles as well. So they go hand in hand always.
Mm, yeah. Stability is such a really important thing to make sure that you're training and challenging, whether it's in your warm up or throughout your training sessions or both, ideally. Um, yeah. Because we know that like our nervous system like governs our muscles. So if it feels threatened by instability at the pelvis or the shoulder joint or whatever it might be, it's going to reduce that range of motion significantly for you. And um, I remember the first time I started understanding this study, mm. right, it was funny. I was um, an orthopedic nurse at one stage in my history. Were you? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I used to scrub in at theatres. Um, horrible. <laughs> I've got a very strong oh. stomach from it. But, yeah, when I would wow. notice, so you, you do all their pre-ortho stuff with them in the um, – in the theater before they'd go in and then as soon as they'd have the general anesthetic right their legs like you could literally like limbs everywhere right yeah. and it made me think how come they can get access to this range of motion when they're unconscious but not in the holding bay i didn't get it and then when i started learning more i was like oh their nervous system is actually suppressed so that's why i can put their femur behind their head and that's why you know when our nervous system feels safe or is not present <laughs> i.e when you're on a general anesthetic well the pain receptors wouldn't be there either so they wouldn't be able to say how that hurts wow but you know you've got betty who's getting her fourth hip replacement oh, who betty. has 10 percent range of motion or something ridiculous and you put her on a table with a general anesthetic and you know you're limp you're very yeah. limp so That's interesting. it's important to understand how like our body is so cool it's it's you know yeah. all the systems integrate together yeah, that's really cool. Hopefully mm. Betty doesn't need any more surgery after that one. Look, 10-year expiry date. She's probably back in. Oh, God. See, do your activations <laughs> and train well with perfect technique and then you won't need surgery like Betty. Yeah, bloody poor there Betty. And Betty. moving on to something that I love, love drilling into passion. people. I feel the passion there. <gasps> it's under <laughs> It's, under, yeah. it's destroying your glute gains. Yeah, isn't it? But There's we've no all done different it. When it. We've all done it. There's no different whether it's your glutes or any other muscle. We still mm. need calories to build muscle. Yeah, and you can be doing all these things right. You can be picking the best exercises and following the best program for you and doing your activation and have your technique on point. But if you're not fueling your body properly, you know, you can't, you can't, a, a lawn will not grow if you don't water it. You know, you need fuel and you need, Everyone. you need um, good supplies to be able to build that muscle tissue back up. Yeah. Yeah. And we've definitely um, been through that. I know we've both come from sporting history where we were, you were running and playing tennis as well. I was playing tennis, but we didn't end up like Serena, um, Serena Williams because she was probably eating a lot more than us. Hey. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And you see a lot of um a lot of sports, right? Like um, even CrossFit, they really do respect, I guess, food as fuel. Whereas mm. I think a lot of body composition sports, it's not. Um, or a lot of general gym goers, it's sort of perceived that oh well, to stay lean, I must eat less. And mm. it's like there is some truth behind it. Like, of course you need a calorie deficit to lose body fat, but you can't live in that state. And I think as well, like what's glorified is being lean. Um, people don't see the building phases and it's a shame. So, you know, we all have to go through letting go of our six pack and getting stronger and focusing on actually building so that when we want to diet, our body does what it's supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. And I was reading a study about this um, a couple of months ago and it is easier for a new, new new people training just get it so good. Like it is easier for a new training person or a person who's new to training, sorry, to lose fat and build muscle at the same time. But then the more advanced you actually get, it's a lot harder and you don't have as much wriggle room. So yeah, you can get away with it at the start. And we're not here to say, when we say let go of the six pack, it's not like, don't let go of everything and put on 10, 15, 20 kilos, depending on your, your body type. Some people hold it better than others. Well, you can still do it conservatively, but you must be, you can't be shredded and lean if you're mm. trying to build muscle. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it is a tough pill to swallow. You know, recomposition is something that's really sort of probably not well understood or researched as well, like that ability to be able to build muscle and lose body fat we definitely know that it is 
are very, very, very easy for beginners to go through because mm. anything is a stimulus and it's mm. just going to grow. The more advanced you become, it's definitely more challenging. And it's like saying, you know, you want to go to Sydney, you know, of course you could walk there, but it's going to be a hell of a lot quicker if you drive. So, yeah. you know, just eat more calories when you're building and then go through structured dieting phases where you can shift your focus. But, yeah, you know, I will say that like, I don't classify myself as an advanced trainee at all, but I can recomp quite easily when I'm ticking all the right box boxes and I can put on a decent amount of muscle mass just by eating um, at maintenance and even sometimes in a deficit. Um, mm. But you've got to have all your, you know, everything in order. You've got to really know what you're doing. You've got to have meal timing down to a T. You've got to have no yes. stresses. You're like, it, it's not just about, oh, well, you know, I can diet and grow. No, no, no. Like everything else has to be a priority. And, you know, when you're dieting, the goal is not building as well. And I have quite a good foundation of muscle mass. So, mm. you know, I, I'm not, if I was like, you know, 10 kilos lighter and didn't have that, there's no way I'd be trying to do that in a deficit or even probably at maintenance. Like I'd probably commit to a bit of a surplus. Yeah. And you do get those one percenters who genetically, they can just look at something and they put on muscle. But mm. for the majority of people, you're right. It does come down to meal timing. It does come down to all the small details, which we did actually talk about in our advanced flexible dieting episode for anyone who wants mm. to go back and listen. Um, but it does take the right food choices as well. When we're talking about building, yes, there's more room to go out and have your favorite treats. And I'm not going to mm. say cheat. I'm going to say treat. Um, but you know, you still want to have food that's going to nourish you. And mm. as we say, you are what you eat. Cool. You might have to eat food that will actually fuel you rather than mm. just aiming to be in a surplus. Depends how you want to go about it. Yeah. And you know, there's periods of the year where I definitely sit in a five to a 10% surplus, not even just physically, but metabolically, it's really important to sort of challenge your body and, and not let it adapt too much. You know, I'm really adaptive. Mm. So you know, I can eat quite a lot of food and not gain a huge amount of body fat, but it's again, like it's, it's so much more effective to just put your body in either an anabolic or a catabolic state, depending on what you're wanting to do. Mm, yeah, definitely. Like the, well, I've had what a year off between shows and then another one, 18 months and my befores and afters it's there's so much difference there. So if you are a competitor as well, and I know only a small minority are, but for anyone wanting to go through a transformation, like you do need to take time of less intense training, really still be smart about it as we've been saying this whole episode and in all of our episodes. And you need a period of eating in a surplus. That's how people get the befores and afters. Like I took a year off intense training, put on body fat, five, six, seven kilos, um, but did it in a way that, you know, it didn't completely change my whole outlook. Yes, I hold it around my stomach and hips more because I'm a woman, but it's all part of it. But then you get to also explore, okay, cool, I'm getting stronger now. And, and you do notice that you are growing. But, yeah, so it, it has to be done if you are to do it well. Yeah, and you can't fear this, like this, the weight on the scales you know I know a lot of people do and I used to be one of them as well and you know I was told um in the past I shouldn't gain more than five percent of my stage weight and that stuck with me because I was like so oh that's sort that's of like three, like three kilos mm-hmm. <laughs> good joke um mm. you know the first time I competed I'm like 15 20 kilos heavier than that now so if I stuck there you that, go are you really see the number always sounds more than what it is because you don't look at it all no, even this yeah. time last year, I'm 10 kilos heavier than what I competed at. And the October so, show, jeez. A lot of people say, oh, she put on 10 kilos, she blew out. And I'm like, look, there's 10 kilos and there's 10 kilos. So, you know, yeah. don't put don't put like a number on your own progress. Mm. And moreover, you know, I took a period of time off from even like focusing on the scales. I was like, my body does not want to sit in this weight range anymore. It doesn't. It was flying yeah. me. So then I was like, okay, put yourself into a good state, eat at maintenance, train hard, see what happens. And, you know, like I'm like 10 kilos heavier now and I've just mm. grown a lot between shows. So it's really important to not let scale weight uh, hold back your progress. You know, coaching's important for this because it's going yeah. to screw with your head. It's really going to. Um, 
but you know that was a big barrier for me to overcome was like holy shit like I'm I'm so much heavier than I've ever been um yeah. but I'm better than I've ever looked so you know it's not a weight loss sport yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And it is important to still have goals. Like I feel I hate not having goals. Like a lot of us do. We're we're just that personality type. So as well as putting on weight and and having the goal to yes, grow your glutes for the sake of this podcast episode, but one of my goals was to get my cycle regular again and I had mm. to put on weight. Like I I remember when I started to be able to feel a little bit more around the stomach and yeah, it's shit. Like it just is. But I, I had to, I changed my wording towards it and my frame of mind to, yep, we're, we're getting ready now to bring my cycle back. Like, this is good. This is a body that will be able to have children one day. Things like that. It's what you tell yourself about your body. Now that the cycle's back and then summer's coming again and now that lockdown's open, I'm like, all right, Danny, we can rein it in a little bit. But, you know, I'm so grateful for, for this time off and putting on the extra kilos because so many amazing things got to come out of it, you know. So yeah, it's just how absolutely. you frame it. But to draw us back to this, you have to eat if you want to grow. Yeah. And a lot of the time as well, um, a lot of females, and I hate to be sexist, but a lot of females um, generally really underestimate their maintenance calories. And I don't know what it is about 1,800 calories. It's yeah. been on like every meal plan that everyone's ever gotten. But look, the chances that 1,800 calories are your maintenance calories is probably small. And more often, if you're training four or five days a week, it's a frigging hell of a lot bigger than that. I don't care if you've yeah. got a desk job. Like it's mm. probably a lot higher if you tried to push it. I just think that um, more often people are like, yeah, this is my maintenance calories. It's like, have you challenged that? Have you tried mm. to increase it? Because just because you're maintaining weight, people sort of think, oh, when I start eating more, I'm going to gain more body fat. And like I said, it comes down to the scales. Again, it's like not all weight gains equal. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's quite a complex thing. And I guess it ties us perfectly into our next one is about doing too much cardio. Yeah, that's definitely a default. Even still in the back of my mind sometimes, like, oh, maybe I'll just do a little bit more cardio, even right now. Like, I'm like it, it goes in my mind. And there's a difference between a leisurely walk outside, you know, going for a walk with someone or by yourself in nature versus actually putting yourself for hours on a cardio machine just to try and, you know, like burn weight or, or thinking that that's part of your training. Because remember that trend that used to go around on the stepper where girls would, again, girls, because I never saw a guy do this, you'd step on it and then they would do like a hip extension at the back. Do you remember seeing that? Yeah. And then they'd come and put the next one and the hip extension. Nah, man, do your hip thrusts, do your squats, do other things. You can't grow your glutes on cardio machine. Again, it's like trying to walk to Sydney, like pick your tool. And <laughs> I would bloody walk to Sydney now. I miss there, but no, it would take me so, if we were allowed to walk to Sydney, I'd walk, but different story. Take the Get car or drive. Get yeah. But, you know, if cardio, right, and lots of repetitions helped us build muscle, endurance athletes would have great glutes too, but they don't. Mm. So we've got to remember, like, what we're doing with our training, what it's for. And that's why I really just love preaching cardio training for cardiovascular health and not using yeah. it for energy output. Like, sure, if I'm getting more puffed in my sessions and I feel like my actual cardiovascular fitness isn't uh, where it should be, that's going to limit how hard I can push on my sets. Mm. So I might add in a little bit of cardio for that purpose, but not because I'm burning 200 calories on the treadmill. And even that is very heavily flawed because one equipment is not accurate at measuring calories at no. all. And then the, the actual like reduction in calories is so in, insignificant. Like you may as well just eat like, you know, five less rice cakes and save your time. Yeah. Because one of my sort of things is like, if you're spending 30 minutes on the stepper, right. And just say you burn 200 calories. If you spent that 30 minutes at home doing the dishes and whatever, you're probably going to burn 50 or a hundred. So mm. you, like, it's just a waste of time in my opinion. Obviously, if you're getting really um, lean and you're playing with really fine details and numbers and you've got like no food to play with, then yes, it could be a tool. But for majority of people, you know, cardiovascular um, training just needs to be looked at it for that, improving blood flow, improving recovery, improving general health and well-being and general activity. 
Very well said. Very well said. And if you are someone who plays a sport with, you know, high aerobic activity, sprinting or any sport really, then you just need to increase your calories. It doesn't mean you can't grow muscle just because you're an endurance athlete. No, just eat a little bit more and and make sure you are still doing that strength-based training in the gym as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the actual problem with cardio is not cardio itself. It's just how it impedes your recovery. So as long as you're, um, as long as the cardio is not interfering with your primary training of whatever that is, um, and then you're compensating with calories and fuel and carbohydrates, more importantly as well, um, then it's not going to burden you, so to speak. But if you're doing it as a means to try and achieve your body composition goals, you probably need to just readdress that and not uh, kill yourself with cardio. Yeah. And it is extra stress on the body as well. So someone might back to sort of the rice cake example versus half an hour doing some sort of cardio, like you may as well just eat less rice cakes. Well, yeah, more often than not. So um, that sounded really juicy, your drink there. I got distracted. Let's have a sip. <laughs> Sorry, I'll have a guzzle. Uh, get it in. Danny's talking. Have a guzzle. You're safe for a couple of minutes anyway. Get it in. Um, what was I saying now? Rice cake. Yeah. Rice cake, stress, cardio causing stress. So you might think, okay, cool, I'll go for a run or I'll go outside and do this. And then more cortisol in your body, less recovery Mm -hmm. through your muscles. And then you might come home and be so tired and then your body will just try and get extra calories anyway because Mm -hmm. it feels feels that higher stress, higher cortisol, and, and you might be more tired and therefore you will want to eat more anyway. So you really have to pay attention to your body and try not to make Mm -hmm. drastic changes like that. Um, Another one that Luke Tullick said when he was on, which I catch myself all the time now, when you're a little bit more tired, naturally you just lean on the bench or you Mm -hmm. lean on the equipment there or you lean there. Like your body's Mm -hmm. just trying to save your energy left, right and center. So less is more. You have to be smart with this stuff. Yeah. And um, like yeah, Luke was amazing to have on there. A lot mm. of the research does support that about neat levels. Like they are uncontrollable. So hitting a step target, it's not neat anymore if you're consciously doing it. Doing mm. cardio, it's planned activity. Um, the more planned activity that you do throughout the day, uh, the less that you will move. And I think it's really important to understand this for everyone that does track step counts and tries to hit insanely large numbers, which is what a lot of um, type A's do is they go, yep, 15 to 20,000 steps a day I'm going to get. Not sort of understanding that that becomes your maintenance. Just like we have a maintenance calories, we have a maintenance step count and movement level as well. And even myself personally, I feel like my body's gone on a big change over the last 24 months in terms of just my general health and sleep as well as um, stress and being on my feet and step counts and all those sorts of things going from such a demanding job to now working at home. Yeah. you know, it's really easy for me to only get five, 6,000 steps, which blows my because <laughs> I used to get like 20,000. Yeah. Uh, but my performance and muscle development's only improved. Yeah. And now that's a little ace of spades up your sleeve. If you did want another tool for fat mm-hmm. loss as a one off or for just for a small amount of time, you could yeah. up your steps again. But mm-hmm. Who has that many time to even beat 20,000 or 30,000, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, really well mm. said there. Good. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You can't just keep doing more and more and more. And that's the same with everything. That's the same with your training, your frequency, your step count. You just can't keep adding more volume. At some stage, you've got to make the volume that you're already doing more efficient, more yep. efficient. Um, and train body smart. Will just, train smarter then train harder and which mm-hmm. leads to our next one um so training intensity yeah exactly so train smart and and then hard so yeah. less is more as we've been saying the whole thing and it really does come back to time under tension for muscle growth we must have time under tension slowing it down performing the movement well pretty much recapping everything that we have said you just mm. yeah you train really have the intensity high but be smart about it yeah yeah and it's important to like like what we're speaking about um you know training to failure to get muscle growth you know it's important to 
do that throughout the week. You know, you don't have to take every exercise to the brinks of failure. Like that's no, that's a no, no, but there should be, um, you know, a few exercises throughout the week where you really push the limits and you try to train to train to failure. And I know you'll be like, okay, this set, I'm really going to Jesus take the wheel on this one hack squat Mm. or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, And you challenge your muscle so that you know what your true training intensity is and then you also apply that extra stimulus as well as you've got your, you know, the volume that you're hitting throughout the week. But, you know, this is a game why um, machines are really good because you're locked in, you've got the stability, yeah. you can just get in a leg press and push until there's no more if you're making sure that you're in there properly and everything. You know, you wouldn't do this with a back squat. But no. I think a lot of um, a lot of um, a lot of us leave a lot of potential and fuel in the tank with training intensity. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So machines are good for that stuff. At the end of my workout, I love to just throw in little stability-based activities. So rather than a burnout, like spend... So for me right now, I'm noticing an imbalance in my left and right just slightly. I'm being like, you know, we're our own scientists. I'm like, hmm, I want more power output and stability on the left. And I notice it. I struggle more with single leg squats on the left side than the right. And now that's a pretty hard exercise anyway, as it is, but I'm like, I want to be good at it anyway. So I, I'm holding on to like a, the bar of the rack and then put myself on that left leg. Cause that's my weaker, more unstable leg. And I sit in that bottom position, that sticky shit point for like a minute and then come mm. back up. And then it's so tiring on it because you mm. find the exact point of the movement where you're weaker at and then you sit in it. And not only is it fun and challenging, but it really works. So that's something that I've been definitely adding on to the end of my workouts or, or mm. just sitting in a, in a squat at the bottom with my knees out, making sure that my mm. core is braced the whole time because um, just based on past movement patterns, we can all have a stronger brace. And I know that I can as well if I want to keep going to the next level. So I Mm. sit in the bottom of a squat just bracing and and having my glutes on. It's just a little bit of extra detective work and fun to have at the end of the workout. Mm. No, it's a really good point. And I think um, it probably comes under the activation technique banner, but Mm. a lot of people struggle with, you know, training their glutes because they can't breathe and brace and contract their their, their um, diaphragm properly and mm. coordinate their rib cage with their pelvis rather than moving all this shit independently. Yeah. And you see it all the time on hip thrusts, back extensions, um, lunges, like oh, every exercise. Pretty much everything. Everything. Yeah. Um, it's so important to be able to breathe and contract all those muscles around your ribs and in your diaphragm to be able to create that stability again for that that safe output system from your nervous system to activate the muscles that are, are, are we're trying to mm, fantastic oh we could talk about this stuff for hours i love it <laughs> i know let's get into some myths some myths okay which we kind of covered um throughout this anyway but it can be a nice little recap so myth number one if you train like her you'll look like her so we know that that's false mm. now. Genetics, yeah. training experience, it all comes into play on that one. Yeah. And, you know, it's, again, what we said right at the start, just because someone's doing a certain exercise doesn't mean that you're going to get the same body as her. You know, a lot of those things come into place and it's really mm. important to be like, does she have well-placed ass fat? Because, oh, you know. Just says <laughs> well, straight up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean though? It's important to be like, well, is it the exercise? It's never the exercise. It's never the exercise. It's the way you do it um, and it's the programming and the activation and the technique behind it. It's not and nutrition. Certain, it's everything. It's everything. It's everything. Mm. Um, one that grinds my gears that I see people posting about is growing glutes without thighs. Like they might post a workout and being like growing glutes and not thighs. It's mm. really hard to do that. And who wants to do that? You know, if you're it's actually applying if you're actually applying a lot of um load, your quads are going to get some of that stimulus. So, you know, if you're only doing isolated exercises, you're going to limit the potential that you can actually grow your glutes to begin with. Yeah, yeah. And I only know one person who actually had this problem where 99% of people, it's the other way. They're quad or hamstring dominant and not glute. One one of my friends could only grow her glutes and could not grow her quads. Like it, but she was from Mars. 
Like that's very rare. Everyone else just uses it for marketing and it's very good clickbait. It's like, oh, cool. Maybe I'll fit yeah. into my jeans now. Um, yeah. But no, that's still, it's not just, yeah, it's all connected. Everything's connected. Your hip and your knee, you're going to use them. So yeah, yeah, it's clickbait. It's clickbait, that sort of stuff. Um, oh, it's like the title wait. of our podcast. <laughs> absolutely here we are right at the end Type it in. yeah um and then i guess like what i said their isolation works all you need it's it's mm. not you need some compound exercises you need to challenge muscles through their full range of motion um and you need to understand the variables sure uh, um, isolation works like the icing on the cake but actually a lot of people have great bodies that don't do isolation work as well again it's just a lot of genetics as well yeah, and in everyday life, you're not going to do a single leg squat to go pick something up off the ground. Like it's going to be compound movements if you want to be functional and, again, not end up like Betty in with mm. surgeries, a fifth one on the way, hope not, you know, then we need compound exercises just for daily yeah. functional living. Yeah, absolutely. And I used to be very much um, focused on just doing compounds and then when I started including isolated stuff, that's when I actually – I guess, started to look like a bodybuilder rather than just looking like athletic. You know, you can really use your body as like a canvas and put on some extra tissue, some extra muscle size in those areas or target them. And sometimes like isolation work is almost like a bit of activation for me Mm. to, again, get all the blood flow to that and and challenge it in a different sort of uh, way than just load. Yeah, and they're very good for people with imbalances, which is most of us, and like I have them, we all have them. So it's Mm. important to have um, isolation and unilateral work as well just to work on one part that is a little bit weaker than the other. Mm. Yeah. All right, what's next? Squats are the best exercise. And now this has come up a lot. There's no best exercise. It really just depends on you as an individual. Mm, yeah and I think it's um it's just sold as you see it everywhere like barbell back squats are the best exercise for building your glutes I don't know how many times I've read like a blog post that says that and I'm like what's Mm. their argument Mm. um but again like we know the the length tension relationship short mid um lengthened muscle exercises it's important to do them all and not just one or label something as best There's, there's a variety of good yep awesome the next one, you always have to add bands or high rep finishes and chase the burn at the end. So again, that's a myth. We spoke about where it would be beneficial. So bands are great when when wanting a little bit of activation, when wanting to learn to how to be strong in certain positions, such as the knees out cue. Um, but again, they're not always needed. It's mm. time and a place again. Yeah, absolutely. And sumo deadlifts are superior than conventional deadlifts. So mm. a lot of people, um, you know, widen their stance with sumo thinking that they're going to target their glutes more than a conventional. Uh, but we know that, you know, sumos aren't superior to conventional when we're just looking at that hip hinge. And, you know, sumos are quite common for power lifters, right? Because they know that they can move the most load. But when you look at it, you know, the knees lock out first and then the hips. So don't shy away from your conventional deadlifts or replace them with sumos thinking that just because you can feel the tension in your glutes more doesn't mean that it's going to lead to better muscle development there. Yeah. And again, daily functional living, we need hip hinges. We need them for more exercises. Um, But it, it also depends on our anatomy. Some people just can't do a conventional to save their life but then also some people can't rotate their legs out wide enough for a sumo as well so again time and a place i'm going to keep using that because that's easy but um it we just want you to realize that people always put out these guidelines or or you must do this you must do that but they are just guidelines you know Mm -hmm. there's no real rules it really depends on you as an individual and Mm -hmm. it can be quite confusing at the start but the more that we put it out there that it's okay to, to mm. change things a little bit based on your body and your life, then sooner everyone will realise that they can do that because that's what this mm. is about. If we want to be in this for the long game, which we do. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You're right. And I think a lot of people think that you need like this huge long list of different sorts of exercises 
when really like the list of exercises that I use for programming is probably not as wide as what people think. Mm. You know, yes, it's about the basics, right? Um, and a few other sort of things around that, like your isolation work, but you don't need lots of fancy, you know, and I saw this weird exercise the other day. It was like a good morning into like a tricep extension fly. You know, you see all these crazy, <laughs> it was nuts. Can you picture that right now? A good, good morning, morning right? bending so down. Dumb- Dumbbell good morning into yep. a tricep kickback into uh, a lateral reverse fly and up. And are they practice like, being a butterfly? Fucking no. So they're butterfly <laughs> training. <laughs> but you see all these fancy exercises and, yeah. you know, you've just got to master the basics at the start and you can play around with things like supersets, exercise order, load, intensity, range of motion and tempo rather than having to substitute out and go through skill acquisition for a lot of stuff again and then be able to get into the hypertrophy stimulus. So don't overwhelm yourself with too much exercises um, or broaden your library too wide before you've mastered all that basic stuff. Absolutely. Well said. And our last one is training like a power lifter because that, you know, that strength training component is heavily popularized a few years ago. And I think a lot of lower back, and now a lot of lower backs have served a purpose because yeah. girls look at that and idolize those figures and think, okay, to to look successful and to be successful um, and to embody that styled person, I too have to lift that much weight. And it's just yeah. not the case. These people have been doing it for decades. Like they have mastered their skill, mastery, spending thousands and thousands and thousands of reps on the same yeah. movements, yeah, but... Even I work with a lot of powerlifters and a lot of them, if they have neglected a link in the chain, everything is amplified when you're lifting that heavy weight. So if you've got one glute not as strong as the other, it's going to come out in your heavy lifting, whether it be squat or deadlift. You know, your lower back will take over or your, your knee will cave in so you'll have knee pain. So everyone needs to do the principles that we spoke about, you know, exercise selection, activation, perfect technique, no matter what kind of training you do, powerlifting, bodybuilding, or playing sport, it's yeah. important across the board. Yeah. And over time, we want to aim for progressive overload in terms of the amount of weight that we can use on an exercise. But don't, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Like if you're not feeling 100%, there's so many factors that come into play when it comes to training. It could be the time of the day, it could be nutrition, it could be stress, mm. it could be activation. There's so many other variables. And don't force yourself to hit a number or try and push yourself with a certain number if it's not feeling right. And I know yep. it'll be hard because you feel like, oh, well, I haven't progressed this week, but that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Your muscle doesn't know the difference. Yeah, really well said. What a way to wrap it up. That's great. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good one. So, <laughs> you know, we hope that everyone, should we do a little bit of a recap on sort of maybe some of the principles so we spoke about exercise selection and programming being so fundamentally important for being able to develop your glutes as well as um, any other muscle really yeah incorporating activation at the start of your workout to make sure your glutes are going to work to their maximum capacity and having perfect technique for the same reasons yep and are we taking in turns yep Why not? Under eating. So the importance of making sure that if you're doing the work in the gym, you're giving your body enough calories to be able to actually build muscle tissue from the work that you're doing. You know, don't burn the candle at both ends. Yep. And not performing too much cardio. Again, that is going to increase stress on the body, decrease recovery and therefore your muscle growth. So if you are playing a sport or are in a position where your steps are high or your cardio is high, make sure you eat more food. Yeah. And training intensity. So also make sure that, you know, you're, you are only leaving a few reps in the tank because you want to make sure that the volume that you are doing is not junk volume and that you're training with enough intensity to tell your muscles to actually grow from the stimulus you're putting on them. Um, and that's Boom. really it for today. So we hope that you've um, taken some key takeaways from this episode and that you did enjoy it. And of course, if you do, please do take a screenshot, tag myself, tag Danielle and tag the Level Up podcast. Thank you.